Here First is sponsored by UCS Healthcare, offering compassionate healthcare for all. Learn more about their services, including statewide access to medication-assisted treatment for alcohol and opioid use disorders at ucsonline.org. Today is Friday. It is the 22nd of September. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. The filing deadline to run for local office this year ended yesterday. Voter turnout tends to be low in local elections. IPR's Zachary Orrin-Smith reports some local governments struggle to find people to run. For the election department of the Lynn County Auditor's Office, the filing deadline is a busy day. City council candidates, people running for mayor, they come bearing signatures and forms to qualify to be on the ballot. Lynn's deputy commissioner of elections, Matt Warfield, says compared to the last two local years in 2015 and 2019, the number of people filing is down by 10 percent. The 10 percent... Uh isn't really something that's alarming to us. Uh, it's just something that we keep our finger on to understand uh, the awareness of candidate filing period throughout the community. While not a sign to panic, it does have consequences. I think I had a township position uh, and they won by with three write-in votes and they turned it down. Election day is November 7th. Des Moines Mayor Frank County says his name will not appear on the ballot in November, which means the city will elect a new mayor for the first time in 20 years. County first took office in 2004. His time as mayor was marked by efforts to revive the downtown area, expand the trail system, and lead the city through the coronavirus pandemic. In a letter announcing his decision, County thanked residents for making him the city's longest-serving mayor, while noting ongoing challenges building affordable housing and keeping businesses downtown. The candidates running for mayor in Des Moines include City Council members Connie Bozen, Josh Mandelbaum, and activist Denver Foote. Cedar Rapids Schools is asking voters this November to approve the largest school bond ever put to Iowa voters. The school board met last night to add the bond to the ballot. The combined $445 million bond funds renovating existing buildings, constructing a new middle school, and purchasing new land. With that funding, come 2037, all the district's buildings would be new or recently renovated by 2037. School board member Dexter Mershbrock called for the ballot petition to be posted for public review. Superintendent Tawana Grover declined, saying the public would be required to fill out a formal records request. I'd just like to say we should put a copy online if we can. There's no reason not to. We're not. The district is seeking approval of the bond in two phases, with the first half voted on this November and the second half in 2029. Iowa's first gentleman, Kevin Reynolds, has been diagnosed with lung cancer. In a statement announcing the diagnosis, Governor Kim Reynolds says she and her husband are confident in the medical team that will carry out his treatment. She says they take optimism from medical advancements in treating lung cancer. The governor and first gentleman have been married for 41 years. A judge has set a cash bond of $2 million for the man accused of killing an Algona police officer last week. 43-year-old Kyle Rickey of Algona is accused of shooting Officer Kevin Cram to death early on Wednesday, September 13th, as Cram was attempting to serve a warrant for Rickey's arrest. Rickey made his initial appearance in Kasuth County District Court yesterday, and Judge Mark Ladisaw announced he's seen enough evidence for the case to proceed. The court finds, just by its previous review of the complaint that there's probable cause to believe that the offense was committed and that the defendant committed the offense. 
based upon the complaint. Ricky has been charged with first-degree murder, and the penalty is a sentence of life in prison. Judge Ladisaw settled on $2 million and says the full amount has to be paid in cash before Ricky could be released. And Iowa's drought has worsened in the eastern part of the state. All or parts of six counties in far northeast Iowa, as well as parts of Tama and Benton counties in east-central Iowa, are now in exceptional drought. That's the most severe level measured by the U.S. Drought Monitor. This is Here First from IPR News. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Farming is risky. Success depends on the weather, and weather is getting more extreme. Taxpayers help protect farmers with federally subsidized crop insurance, a program that's up for renewal this year. Climate change is making it much more expensive, and as Harvest Public Media's Frank Morris reports, some argue subsidized crop insurance is shielding farmers too much. Droughts, like the one that destroyed much of this year's Kansas wheat crop, are tough on farmers. A drenching rain came too late to save John Thamert's crop. But a federal program softened the blow. Thankfully, I've got crop insurance, which will help. Okay, thank goodness for crop insurance. Crop insurance doesn't make you money. It keeps you in business to plant again next year. It's a beautiful thing. Taxpayers pick up most of the bill for this protection. The government pays roughly 60 cents on the dollar for crop insurance premiums and then shells out hefty subsidies directly to the insurance companies involved on top of that. Jennifer Ift, an agricultural economist at Kansas State University, says the program keeps growing bigger and more important. Crop insurance is a foundation of the federal farm safety net. And that's language that is commonly used. Ift says crop insurance guarantees farm income, which means banks get paid, farm towns stay afloat, and U.S. farmers continue growing lots of food year after year. Crop insurance is up for renewal this year as part of the Farm Bill being debated this month. Congress has expanded and sweetened the program in the last few farm bills. It now covers over 100 crops. Corn, soybeans, cotton, and wheat are the big ones. Last year, it insured more than 490 million acres. Taxpayers pony up about $9 billion in a typical year. And that number is rising, according to Steve Morris, a director in the U.S. Government Accountability Office. And, and part of that is just because of the scale and, and size of the program. You're having more producers sign up, et cetera. The latest cost were, you know, upwards of $15 billion or so. So it's, you know, it's a very large program and it's getting bigger. Last year, insurance companies paid out more than $19 billion to cover crop losses. That's a record. Drought caused most of the damage. And Noah Diffenbaugh, a climate scientist at Stanford, says droughts are likely to keep getting worse. The probabilities of extreme events, both events that are as severe as what we've experienced historically, as well as events that are more extreme than what we've experienced historically, those are changing. Diffenbaugh figures that in a severe drought, like last year, Climate change causes about half the losses covered by crop insurance. And Scheckinger, senior analyst at the Environmental Working Group, says that by shielding farmers from some of that, crop insurance encourages risk-taking because farmers are playing partly with house money. Right now, high-risk land is subsidized at the same rate as regular, perfectly productive farmland. So you're encouraging farmers to plant in these high-risk areas like floodplains 
that are going to result in more more loss over time. Many private sector insurance companies are pulling out of disaster-prone regions, even whole states, to cut their exposure to climate change. Meanwhile, Schechinger says subsidized crop insurance covers the biggest cash crops no matter where they're planted. So... It is totally opposite from what most insurance industries are doing right now with climate change because the federal government is still choosing to fund the crop insurance program, even though there are you know huge losses because of climate change and taxpayers are still left to, to subsidize these losses. Schechinger says Congress should tailor the crop insurance program to reward greener farming practices, encourage farmers to retire marginal land, for instance, or use less fertilizer. But federally subsidized crop insurance is bedrock farm policy. And many farm state legislators want to use the current farm bill to keep crop insurance growing. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Frank Morris. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including IPR News, covering agriculture, food systems, and rural issues. This is here first from IPR News. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening this week.